Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, September 15th, 2022, the 603rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do that for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. And you will have the podcast immediately when it comes out as well as all the writing. And you'll be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't, Hey, just get it for free a couple days later somewhere else, but please share it. So let's check in on the state of things in California, the Golden State, America's own North Korea. This is from Breitbart. California Democrats won't debate in any race for statewide office. They claim to be defending democracy, but not one of the Democratic Party candidates for statewide office in California has agreed to debate his or her opponent, rejecting what many voters see as a key part of the democratic process. 
As Cal Matters notes, as Election Day approaches, you're likely to spot Governor Gavin Newsom popping up in plenty of television ads. You'll see state controller candidate Malia Cohen on her various social media feeds. Attorney General Rob Bonta will be busy attending plenty of press conferences. But what are the odds that voters will catch any of these Democrats at a televised political debate? Don't bet on it. That's over the strenuous objections of their three Republican opponents and the state GOP. For weeks, controller candidate Lan He Chen has been calling on Cohen, sometimes accompanied by a dancing chicken, to meet him on the debate stage. Are they bringing the dancing chicken to the debate? That's the question. On Tuesday, two other GOP candidates for statewide office joined the call. State Senator Brian Dahl, who is running a long shot campaign to unseat Newsom, cheered on Fox 11 anchor Alex Michelson after the reporter offered to moderate a gubernatorial debate. Two hours later, Attorney General candidate Nathan Hockman challenged Bonta to not one but three debates at minimum. Democrats have rejected all of these requests for debates, though media outlets have been interested in hosting them. Breitbart News has even responded favorably to a general call from Hockman's campaign to media outlets to host debates to no avail. The refusal to debate is unprecedented. In 2014, then incumbent governor Jerry Brown, a Democrat, agreed to debate his political opponent, Republican Neil Kashkari, despite the fact that Brown led widely in the polls. Brown was widely considered to have lost the debate largely for lack of practice against political opposition in a state where his party dominates and the media largely plays along. He went on to win re-election by a wide margin anyway, but at least he had faced his opponent. And so that's where we are in California. And truthfully, in many places around the country, as I have mentioned, including very recently, these people are unwilling to defend their positions and their records. They don't want tough questioning. They don't want to be cross-examined by a candidate as a proxy for being cross-examined by the people. They're saying that the people don't deserve to know their real opinions on the issues. The media's got it covered. The media is going to tell you everything you could ever need to know about these candidates. And you'll accept their framing. And as a good Democrat, in the one-party state of California, you'll just go vote for their candidate. And even if the people don't, that candidate's going to win anyway. So you might as well not create any opportunity for the public perception to shift against the Democrat candidate. This is what happens in the later stages of an election fraud regime. Eventually, the state becomes a one-party state or the country becomes a one-party country. In Joe Biden's Red Sermon Nazi speech a couple of weeks ago, he made it clear that he believes the United States of America, a society founded on the principles of liberty, would be best served with a one-party government because any dissent from an opposition party is criminal. It is a threat to the state. It's a threat to the very idea of democracy. And this is how totalitarianism is ushered in. They steal the elections. After they've stolen the election, they claim to have 
an overwhelming mandate from the people. And in a place like California, where they have millions and millions of additional voters on their registries and they let you print out ballots at home and send them in so there can be no accountability for any of the votes, they're able to run up big numbers. They tell Californians, yes, you really are two thirds blue, even though you got millions of signatures to have Gavin Newsom recalled. The rest of California's voters showed up and said, no, we love Gavin Newsom. We will support him no matter how terrible he makes the state. And that further confirms their mandate to govern however they see fit and however they see fit always means they are going to implement the agenda of the global communist order, the liberal world order, as Biden advisor Brian Deese calls it. That's how you get the most extreme environmental policies, the most extreme covid policies, the most extreme immigration policies, the most extreme tax policies, as well as the worst education the worst crime, the worst poverty, the worst housing prices, and the worst gas prices. They get to eventually control everything the people are able to do, and dissenters will be harmed. They will suffer one way or another. High gas prices, high food prices, high housing prices, high taxes, and eventually the dissenters will leave California. And people fleeing a state in any normal open system should be a sign of real problems. People don't want to leave their homes. They don't generally want to pick up and start somewhere else, particularly if they own a home or they have a family. But California doesn't care. They don't need your votes. They don't even really need your tax dollars. And they proved that in the last two and a half years where these trillion dollar packages passed through our illegitimate Congress pushed billions of dollars toward the blue states to enact their COVID policies, to bail out their pension programs, to fund their propaganda campaigns. That's where we are. Once they take over the entire system, they can continue to implement the agenda, continue to impose their will upon the citizenry. But what are essentially uncontested races did not just start. California rearranged their election system so that the top two candidates would appear on the general election ballot. Nancy Pelosi is always running against a Democrat. And what is that Democrat opponent going to do? Start exposing the fact that elections are rigged for the political establishment? She's going to go toe to toe with Nancy Pelosi or will the Democrat just take a deal and shut up and go somewhere else in the state where they can be more effective and more well rewarded for going along with the system? So why would they debate? They don't want to debate. They certainly don't want to defend their positions because they can't defend their positions. And the fact that they can't defend their positions and still be seen as having the ability to potentially win elections 
That should tell you something about what they know about California's actual electorate. California, we are told, is about as blue a state as you could ever see. But the Democrats, with all the power behind them, with the media behind them, with the entire election system in the state of California behind them, they won't go out and take their argument to the voters facing off with an opponent who has different opinions and is going to call out California corruption. That's how weak they are. That's how little they're actually serving the real voters of California. But they're not going to admit that. Instead, they'll start touting California's progressive accomplishments for all of the oppressed classes that they've already divided people up into. They'll fund some studies that say some of their programs are actually working really well, even though obvious problems in California are not being fixed. And those same policies result in all sorts of new problems and the old problems getting worse. They're going to blame all that on their opposition and tell the voters that things would be better if you just gave them more power. But in their actions, they are admitting that California is not nearly as blue as we are told and that their ideas can't stand the test of being put in front of the voters in real time. And remember H.R. 1, the Democrat Communist Party wanted to take California's election system and spread it across the nation. They wanted to federalize California's election system. You might remember in 2020, Nancy Pelosi and her congressional Democrats were demanding universal mail-in balloting and the legalization of ballot harvesting be written into the COVID relief packages. Nancy Pelosi was holding up coronavirus pandemic relief for the entire summer of 2020, trying to get the election laws in the country changed. Will Californians stand for this? Honestly, they might. Because conservatives in California, especially MAGA conservatives in California, at least in the urban centers, keep their mouths shut. They are literally scared of a bunch of child-brained communists. They don't want to be called bad names. They don't want to identify themselves as the no-no people because life might be so bad by being honest about who you are and what you believe. Oh, your life is going to be so terrible once you make that leap into only being honest and only expressing the truth about important subjects. Oh, the horror. But maybe I'm wrong. We shall see. Regardless, people are not still buying into all the fake glamour and prestige and elite sophistication that California projects. Variety reports that the Emmys, the ratings for the Emmys, have hit a record low, down 25% from last year. They had the Emmys on Monday night. And I wouldn't even have known that if I hadn't been watching some of Sunday night football over dinner with some friends. They moved the Emmys to Monday night. The Emmys were always on Sunday. I've attended a few Emmys shows and they were huge back then. 
This is probably nine or 10 years ago I'm talking about. Now, so few people are tuning in that they have them on a Monday night up against the year's first Monday night football game. They might as well just admit defeat and stop the award shows altogether. The Oscars now have all of their diversity requirements. The Academy Awards are now admittedly full on trying to fulfill racial quotas. And everyone is supposed to perceive this as a good thing. But instead, everyone has decided they don't care about this stuff anymore. And it's important to realize what's happening because this should be a source of hope for everyone. These are markers along a path to the country completely letting go of our prior interests that don't serve us. I was on CanCon's show last night with Q out of the darkness and Nick Moseder. Q and I have fairly different outlooks on what's happening now. He's a little more frustrated. His communities, he feels like, are not getting it. I'm far more hopeful. And when I'm talking to somebody like that, I want to try to give real world examples of how things are headed dramatically in our direction and cannot reverse. And one of the things I brought up last night was the acceptance of new rounds of booster shots. A lot of people back at the beginning, they went and joined the medical experiment because they were very scared of COVID or they wanted to go to concerts or travel or they have an immunocompromised grandmother or something. They invented rationalizations for why they just wanted to go along with the program now so we can all end this period and move on to other parts of our life. Bad decision. Terrible decision. But a lot of people made it because they were so frustrated with the lockdowns and the masking and everything else. And they thought if there's any chance we all do this and it all goes back to normal, it's worth it. So I'm going to sign myself up. Bad decision. Didn't work. But these people have learned since then. At every stage of the vaccine process, fewer and fewer people have stayed on board with the experimental gene therapy campaign. I talked a month or so ago about how reports were showing that only about 5% of American parents decided to vaccinate their little kids. These are real world signs that people are beginning to understand what's happening. They're thinking for themselves and making their own decisions based on the actual critical decision-making factors. If you're going to join a medical experiment, the proper decision-making factors should not be, will I have to wear a mask in that restaurant or can I go to Cancun? The critical decision factors are, can this prevent a disease that would kill me? And already right there, the answer is no, and you can stop right there. But people didn't. There are other critical factors too. Is the vaccine safe? No. Is it effective? No. Can it prevent me from getting this disease? No. In fact, the vaccines have made things only worse. And you could tell that from the beginning because the pharma companies were pushing so hard and making sure they had no liability. 
and pressing the lie that a vaccine was necessary for a disease with an infection fatality rate of one in a thousand people who get it. All of them being senior citizens with significant comorbidities. People have dug into the suspected COVID diagnosis that medical centers and hospitals and doctor's offices used to mark down COVID. The standard was, did the person cough once? If the person coughs once, you could mark them down as probable COVID and then take money from the government and help those case numbers rise. But as much as we see the stories played again and again and again in the media, and we still feel the push from the government and media and pharma and tech and whoever else to continue getting vaccinated again and again and again, people aren't doing it. And that's important. That shows that they're learning and it shows that they're thinking for themselves. It shows that they are probably arriving at fairly difficult truths. And that trend certainly applies far beyond the COVID discussion. And this is going to be a major wake up for people. People are affected by this stuff in their real life. Today on Daily Clout, Naomi Wolf's site, they have a video up from Amy Kelly talking about what they found in the Pfizer documents. And I'm going to skip on sharing the video, but they write the Pfizer documents are the internal documents released under court order that document adverse events, including injury to the penis and its functions following mRNA vaccination. These injuries include penile vein thrombosis, which is a blood clot, also known as Mondor's disease, penile neoplasm, a malignant lesion, and general penile infection. So how does that sound? Last week, also on Daily Clout and also from those Pfizer documents, they revealed that the mRNA shot in young boys was causing failures in the development of secondary sex characteristics, which basically means they can't physically become normal adult men, which is a nice story to pair in your brain with the push for transgenderism in the country. They kind of fit together pretty neatly, don't they? But the point is, this isn't some small revelation. This is a major awakening people are undergoing, and it might not extend to politics. It might not extend yet to the election. It might not yet extend to Donald Trump or to child trafficking or false flags or the influence of central bankers and global governing bodies. But it's something that's having a serious impact on their faith in institutions like public health care and big pharma, and that extends to the tech companies and to the media and to the universities and to the experts. And when people begin to realize that they can't simply trust authority just because society says that authority is who you must trust, well, then the whole thing begins to fall apart. And since all of that is the greatest threat to the communist grip on power, they have to attempt to reframe everything. They don't want people believing that everyone else is figuring out how bad things are. This is from the AP today. Biden approval rises sharply ahead of midterms 
AP NORC poll. President Joe Biden's popularity improved substantially from his lowest point this summer, but concerns about his handling of the economy persist, according to a poll from the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. Support for Biden recovered from a low of 36% in July to 45%, driven in large part by a rebound in support from Democrats just two months before the November midterm elections. Well, wait a second, that's not possible. His overall approval rating went up 9% based on support from Democrats who already overwhelmingly supported him. He was under 30% with independents and he's in the single digits with Republicans. So how did supposedly around 30% or 35% of the country go up so much in their support that it made up for nine points in the overall polling. That doesn't make sense. During a few bleak summer months, when gasoline prices peaked and lawmakers appeared deadlocked, the Democrats faced the possibility of blowout losses against Republicans. But it hasn't gotten any better. That's the thing you have to understand. And you should be able to see that clearly because of the completely false framing here. The country doesn't mind gridlock. That's an entirely Democrat construction from a Democrat point of view. Democrats were mad that Joe Biden wasn't getting anything done. No one else out there was complaining about the gridlock. These massive spending packages aren't popular. Joe Biden's political priorities are not popular. The only reason anyone believes they are is because of the vastness of the election fraud and the claim that the popular vote total generated by that election fraud gives the Democrats a mandate so they can go out and say, hey, you voted for this. We're going to put all this stuff in. Then they shift the narrative after everything gets terrible. People felt how bad things got. And now they feel not quite as bad, which means things must be getting better. And the illegitimate president can take credit for that. And then they go into another election, steal that election, claim victory and claim that everybody loves their agenda so they can do it again. The voters have furthered our mandate, which means they want even more of this stuff. So we're going to give them more. And then it'll get bad. It'll get blamed on Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And then they'll make it a little less bad and give Joe Biden the credit and Democrats the credit. And then they'll say Trump has no chance to win in 2024. It's all a charade. It is all just narrative manipulation to support the election fraud regime. Their outlook appears better after notching a string of legislative successes that left more Americans ready to judge the Democrat president on his preferred terms. And this is a quote. Don't compare me to the almighty. Compare me to the alternative. And you're supposed to read that and remember how very, very bad the very bad orange man is. The president's approval rating remains underwater with 53% of U.S. adults disapproving of him. And the economy continues to be a weakness for Biden. Just 38% approve of his economic leadership as the country faces stubbornly high inflation and Republicans try to make household finances the axis of the upcoming vote. Still, 
The poll suggests Biden and his fellow Democrats are gaining momentum right as generating voter enthusiasm and turnout takes precedence. Oh, how convenient. Does anyone know an enthusiastic Democrat? You might know a bunch of angry Democrats who are still mad that they feel like things are very wrong and it's all your fault. Everybody knows those type of Democrats. Does anyone know an enthusiastic Democrat who wants to go out there and vote for their candidate, even though their candidate is afraid to tell voters what they really think? They don't even want to answer hard questions in public. They don't even want to answer easy questions in public with their preferred moderators because their Republican opponent is a wild card to them. They don't know how to answer for their policies because everyone they know, everyone they care about, everyone they listen to already agrees with them. And none of them have any idea why. The last thing they want to do is explain it to you. This very same poll says that 72% of the people polled think the country is headed in the wrong direction. How is Biden's approval 45%? How are they waiting this thing? Well, they don't say, but they have an email address that you can contact if you would like to ask them. I wonder how many Democrats they polled compared to how many Republicans and independents. But this isn't the only message they'll put out. It's always mixed messaging. They'll put out articles that have some relation to reality so that people don't feel they're completely being lied to. And then they'll get the other side because they like when people are just confused there in the middle. It's all too complicated. It's uncomfortable to think about. They'll always retreat to their prior version of reality and stick with that. And for most people, that means accepting the establishment narrative from their trusted sources. And even when the other side is presented, it's always in a way that's intimidating. This is the bad news. This is what you have to be scared of. This is why you need to fight so hard. This is the Daily Mail today revealed. Trump's MAGA army that could transform Congress in his image. More than 200 candidates he endorsed will now fight tooth and nail for him in November midterms. But establishment GOP is terrified they will scare off floating voters. Oh, the floater voter. Like a ghost? Are we going to scare off all the ghost voters? The phantom voters? Is that what we're going to do? Yeah, that's the move. An army of more than 200 MAGA candidates ready to fight for Donald Trump's agenda is marching into November's midterm races. After a heated primary season that proved the ex-president remains, for the most part, the de facto leader of the Republican Party. Not for the most part, for the only part, the whole part. Trump has played a heavy hand in the 2022 election cycle thus far, endorsing candidates both for Congress and state executive roles in races that normally do not get the national attention he's brought to them. Oh, what happens now? People are paying attention to races they didn't pay attention to before. Now they have candidates they are actually getting behind who they actually want to see win. Well, what's going to happen in all those places where the Democrats were so good at stealing races for totally unknown communists?
What about all those throwaway races that no one ever kept an eye on? Oh, that's just the Democrats. They always win there. Well, they always win there because their contests between the Democrat establishment and a ringer opponent. Now they actually have real election contests. And by that, I mean real opponents, not free and fair election systems. How are they going to handle that? And it's an important question because Donald Trump is going around the country scheduling rallies to support candidates in all of these various swing states, people who would have never had the party's support before because Donald Trump doesn't need the party. He just needs the force of the MAGA movement behind these candidates. That makes up for the corporate funding. That makes up for the backing of the party apparatus. Because previously, getting the backing of the party apparatus meant selling out the needs of your constituents to the needs of the party. If you want to get into office, you have to play the game. And the Daily Mail seems to realize this. He's also jetted around the country to campaign with their voters in his signature Make America Great Again rallies, including a forthcoming appearance in Ohio on Saturday for Senate candidate J.D. Vance. Then he has one scheduled next weekend in North Carolina, and I believe the weekend after that in Michigan. And I think it would actually be pretty funny for them to attempt to indict him before any of these rallies and then see him on the rally stage a day or two days or whatever it is later, still pushing the movement forward, still in front of tens of thousands of real American citizens and throwing the corruption of the Department of Justice right back in their faces. It's appeared to have worked for him with a success rate of more than 90%. Overall, in the Senate races, Trump's favored candidates won 100% of the time out of primaries that have already occurred. He's helped 18 candidates advance to November with two races that are still pending. And the Daily Mail has a convenient map showing the locations of many of these candidates. Trump has 19 endorsed candidates in Texas, 14 in Ohio, 12 in Florida. And most of the states around the country have at least one endorsed MAGA candidate. On this map in the Daily Mail, there actually exist two different Nevadas. So that's a little strange. But one of the Nevadas is Arizona, where they have six MAGA candidates. But 200 nice, fresh MAGA candidates in the midterms sounds like a good start. CNN is freaking out about this phenomenon as well. Yesterday, they published an article from Zachary B. Wolf. The magification of the GOP is in overdrive. And remember, this is the same outlet who often publishes pieces saying that Donald Trump's presence at the forefront of the Republican Party is actually making Republicans more toxic and making it more likely for Democrats to win in November. But that's not true at all. The final 2022 primary elections conducted Tuesday saw more clear victories for the Make America Great Again wing of the GOP. The more moderate Republican running for U.S. Senate in New Hampshire, State Senate President Chuck Morse, conceded defeat Wednesday to the 2020 election-denying retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Don Baldock. In fact, it was a sweep of the House and Senate races in New Hampshire for the more Trump-aligned candidates. 
The Senate race was yet another case of the candidate preferred by the Republican establishment in Washington, led by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, falling to a candidate who pushes conspiracy theories and was aligned with former President Donald Trump. It wasn't enough that a super PAC aligned with McConnell had poured more than $4 million into the race to pump up Morse. In this particular case, it should also be noted that Democrats helped Baldock along by spending millions to run ads attacking Morse and tying him to McConnell. And hey, thanks, Democrats. But also, this is part of an influence and manipulation narrative by Democrats and the mainstream media. They want to tell the country that these MAGA candidates wouldn't have won at all without the help from the Democrats. Because you see, in the midterms, the Democrats are not going to give that kind of support to these MAGA candidates. And that'll be part of the reason why so many MAGA candidates fail around the country. It's not the Democrats and their money that is winning these races. It's the MAGA movement. Because the GOP establishment is being made obsolete. Democrats' cynical strategy of helping the Trumpier GOP candidates in multiple states and races is a dangerous gamble that could either help them keep control of the Senate or could put more election deniers in office, depending on what happens in November. It also undercuts their message of trying to protect democracy. As CNN's political team reported in takeaways from the New Hampshire primary, Baldick joins a list of candidates national Republicans worry won't be able to appeal to the broader November electorate. Except again, that's not true. People who are rejecting the illegitimate regime and the establishment communists around the country are not going to see candidates like Don Baldick and Kerry Lake and freak out. Oh my goodness, these people are so extreme. You can watch these people for five minutes and know they're not extreme. And that is yet another reason why Democrats won't debate. The last thing they want is for their MAGA are extremists narrative to fail on live television. And I'm going to jump down to the bottom here to the section more one-sided polarization. The Brookings Institution did a more holistic review of primary candidates from both parties and found that Republicans have embraced Trump and his brand of conservatism far more completely than Democrats have embraced their most progressive ideas. Well, that's strange. I thought they had a lot of enthusiasm. I thought they were on the comeback trail. I thought abortion was going to push everyone to the polls and that Biden was doing so well in the economy. Everyone's happy about the release of that gridlock and all his legislative accomplishments. And it's also noteworthy that they're citing Brookings. Let's take a second and examine Brookings sources of funding. This is from influencewatch.org, and I'm only going to pick out a couple here and there. Bank of America Charitable Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Carnegie Corporation of New York, Democracy Fund, the Ford Foundation, the Heinz Family Foundation, Pierre Omidyar's Omidyar Network Fund, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, Rockefeller Foundation and so many more notable and heroic charities. 
The same people behind Big Pharma and media corporations and NGOs, they also fund the Brookings Institution. But back to CNN. Trump endorsed less than 13% of GOP candidates, but more than 96% of those he endorsed won their primaries. Most Republican candidates, nearly 60% in the Brookings Review, put no mention of Trump or his MAGA and America First mantras on their website. But only 30% of those candidates who didn't push Trumpism won. Brookings compared those figures with the percentage of Democrats who embraced the left wing of the party. Most, 72% of Democratic candidates, had no endorsement from left-wing groups and no mention of left-wing issues. Anything from Medicare for all to defund the police on their website. Nearly half of these won their primaries. A small minority of Democrats, just about 6%, were endorsed by extremely progressive leaders like Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders or groups that share his priorities. Half of them won their primaries. So none of those left-wing organizations have the influence that Donald Trump does. That's strange because I was told that Donald Trump is extremely toxic. This is the conclusion from Brookings. On the Republican side, candidates have embraced Trump, even when he has not embraced them, and done very well in the primaries because of it. On the Democratic side, the impact of Bernie Sanders' revolution has been smaller, more muted, and less successful in primaries. And that's funny because so many Democrat and fake centrist voters imagine that they themselves are not communist and don't support anything communist, which makes sense because they don't actually know anything about the issues. They just know that their side is very, very good and the other side is very, very bad. So they'll let other people decide on who the candidates will be. And in November, they will go out and check the mail and mark down what they're told to mark down. And they'll send their little ballot back in and wipe their hands of the whole thing and claim victory and moral superiority. That's all they want to do. But the MAGA approach seems really, really effective for how much we are told it's extremely toxic and sure to end in a massive and historic loss. Richard Barris was on the war room the other day talking about how there is always the flip in the midterm elections that happen during a new president's first term. The only time in recent memory where that didn't happen was in 2002, where voters kept Republicans in power after 9-11. The media is essentially suggesting to us that the Supreme Court Dobbs decision is basically the equivalent of a 9-11 style event. That's what's going to make all historical trends completely reverse themselves. The president's low approval ratings be damned. Democrats are just going to come out in force to continue supporting the agenda that virtually everyone knows has produced the worst results in American history. But their coming attempt at election theft has gotten a little more difficult. This is from the Epoch Times today. Delaware court strikes down states voting by mail law. A state court blocked voting by mail in Delaware September 14th after ruling that the state's mail-in voting practices violate the Delaware Constitution. 
barring further judicial or legislative action, the ruling means mail-in voting will not be available in upcoming general elections in Delaware on November 8th. So let's just pause for a second and realize that these things still can be stopped with this little time remaining until the election. We are consistently told otherwise, and I imagine we'll see appeals and who knows how this will finally end up. But this is good news. Republicans were critical of mail-in voting measures enacted at the height of the pandemic and accused election officials across the country of ignoring the U.S. Constitution and state constitutions by allowing it and promoting it heavily to the public. They claim this departure from the usual election procedures allowed Democrats to cheat. And of course, that is definitely part of it. The Democrat-controlled Delaware General Assembly hurriedly passed the voting-by-mail law in June after failing to secure enough Republican support to amend the state constitution to enshrine the policy. Lawmakers previously approved a separate voting-by-mail law during the pandemic in 2020, invoking emergency powers that allowed the statute to escape the usual constitutional scrutiny. So they overrode the Constitution in 2020 based on their coronavirus pandemic emergency powers. They said the Constitution simply doesn't apply right now and we're going to do what we want. Then they tried to amend the Constitution for this cycle and failed. And they're trying to push ahead with it anyway. So when Democrats talk about how they're saving our democracy and they support the rule of law and the Constitution. Look what they're trying to do. They overrode the Constitution under their pandemic-related emergency powers. And again, there was absolutely no problem in 2020 with people showing up at the polls and voting. Anthony Fauci in August of 2020 said that If you're able to go out and get groceries, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to go out and vote. Fauci said that. And then on Election Day in 2020, the CDC put out a guidance that said democracy is more important than the pandemic. So even if you have a current coronavirus infection, you should still feel safe going out to the polls. And of course they did because they needed additional turnout from people who were scared of the very deadly pandemic, all of whom are some brand of communist and definitely voted for Joe Biden. Oh, gosh, how could he say that? That's so triggering. But lawmakers did not reference any emergency authority when passing the new law, which allowed the state judge to rule it was unconstitutional. Former U.S. Department of Justice civil rights attorney J. Christian Adams, whose organization launched the legal challenge, hailed the court's decision. This ruling upheld the rule of law in Delaware when not long ago election officials across the country were ignoring the law, said Adams, president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. This law violated the election protections in Delaware's constitution. Election officials must follow the law. When laws are followed, even losers of elections can agree with the outcomes. Consent of the governed increases when the election rules are followed, Adams said in a statement obtained by the Epoch Times. And that makes complete and total sense. People actually can respect the outcomes of elections when the law is followed. 
and are much less likely to do so when the law is clearly violated and the election processes are manipulated and abused. It turns out the best way to increase faith in the outcomes of elections is to just follow the law, not to censor people. The Epoch Times reached out for comment to Delaware Attorney General Kathy Jennings, a Democrat whose office defended the 2022 law in court, but did not immediately receive a reply. Now, that's strange. Why wouldn't they reply and state their case? Tell us all why it is good and legal for the legislature to have done this. And why are you, as the attorney general of Joe Biden's home state, arguing on behalf of this abuse being enacted by people who do not even legitimately hold office? It's also worth noting that the job of Delaware attorney general used to be held by none other than the illegitimate president's son, Bo Biden. PILF filed a lawsuit earlier this year against the vote by mail law. The complaint alleges that Delaware's mail-in voting and same-day registration statutes ran afoul of Delaware's constitution. One of the plaintiffs was whistleblower Michael Manella, who has served as an inspector of elections for the Delaware Department of Elections. In Higgins versus Albans, Vice Chancellor Nathan Cook of the Court of Chancery of the state of Delaware ruled that Article 5, Section 4A of the Delaware Constitution provides for absentee voting in certain enumerated circumstances. State courts have consistently stated that those circumstances are exhaustive. As a trial judge, I am compelled by precedent to conclude that the vote by mail statutes attempt to expand absentee voting to Delawareans who do not align with any of Section 4A's categories, must be rejected. Cook turned down the challenge to the state's same-day registration statute, but said the vote-by-mail statute presents a much thornier issue. In 2020, as pandemic-era measures curtailing individual liberties took effect, the Delaware legislature enacted a very similar vote-by-mail law under its emergency powers, which was upheld by this court, he wrote. But the current statute was not justified as an emergency measure. He suggested it did not deserve the same judicial deference. Although the plaintiffs would probably not have standing under federal rules to challenge the mail-in voting law, they do have standing under Delaware law because they represent various parts of the election process and have a substantial interest in this court reaching a decision on the merits, particularly given the fundamental nature of voting, he wrote. Cook wrote that in light of his ruling on the merits, there would be irreparable harm in the absence of injunctive relief and that the balance of the equities favors entry of an injunction. Attorney Jane Brady, who served as co-counsel on the case, told the Associated Press that voting by mail does not comport with the Constitution. I believe that the legislature has known from day one that they needed a constitutional amendment to do this, she said. In my view, they abdicated their responsibility. And that sounds exactly right. And that's probably why they went for the amendment to the Constitution first. They knew they needed to amend their state constitution to be able to change this election law. They were unable to do it. So they tried to find another way, hoping that the courts just wouldn't stop them. Does that sound 
like a deep blue state. That's the fake president's home state. And the legislature there is so scared of what will happen in the midterms that they have tried to subvert Delaware law twice, first by using emergency powers and then after failing to amend the Constitution, trying to just use an end around and hope that the system of checks and balances would not stop them. Those are not the actions of a party that thinks it can win fair and square. And of course, they know that. So what extent are they willing to go to to ensure their electoral success in the November midterms? This is from the Daily Beast yesterday. The 60 day rule doesn't exist. It's time to charge Trump now. Attorney General Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice need to discard the so-called 60-day rule that supposedly would forbid bringing potential criminal charges against former President Donald Trump within 60 days of the upcoming midterms. Oh no, my norms. What is happening to our norms? These are the people who were out of their minds for the last seven years about what Donald Trump was doing to their norms. And what they mean when they say that, by the way, is that Donald Trump is telling the truth about something the establishment doesn't want to talk about. They prefer the way they always do it to the way it's supposed to be done. When they get away with something for a long time, that becomes one of their precious norms. And then no one can violate their norms, even though they're not laws and they're not things that any of the people actually asked for to start with. And I don't know how these people are such bad writers. I mean, what kind of sentence construction is this to start with Garland and the DOJ need to tell the American public that no such rule exists. It's not a real rule. It's just a norm. And we don't care about norms now. That's right. The rule doesn't exist. Oh, really? Imagine that. Imagine what the audience, what the child brain readers of the Daily Beast must think to believe that the 60 day rule is actually some kind of real rule or law and not just a common convention. It's the DOJ's equivalent of an urban myth. Oh, I am shocked. I can't believe this isn't a real rule. No actual law or written policy at the DOJ mentions anything about doing anything within 60 days of anything vis-a-vis criminal charges involving elections. I wonder where this communist was on this whole issue in 2016. This is no secret. Commentators, including Just Security, Lawfare, Jeffrey Tubin and the DOJ Office of Inspector General have all confirmed the absence of any such written rule and agreed that it's actually more like an informal policy of prosecutorial best practices that includes avoiding actions such as public indictments or other overt disclosures that could affect elections. So they're violating informal policies and best practices. I thought best practices were what Everyone on that side agreed had to be upheld all the time. And by the way, what are they doing citing Jeffrey Tubin? Jeffrey Tubin is CNN's legal analyst who was taken off the air for like a year 
because he was masturbating on a Zoom call. And now apparently he is cited as an authority for convincing people who don't know anything that one of the things they thought they knew is actually wrong. But why did they think it in the first place? Oh, it's because people exactly like this communist right here told them that in 2016. But the power and influence of the myth remains pervasive. Former Attorney General Eric Holder referenced the rule in his op-ed criticizing former FBI Director James Comey for having violated DOJ rules and norms in his announcement about the Hillary Clinton investigation less than a month before the election she lost to Trump. The instance of independent counsel Lawrence Walsh's Iran-Contra indictments coming days before the 1992 presidential election in which the senior Bush lost to Bill Clinton is often cited as a violation that proves the rule. You got that? The rule is proven whenever the violation doesn't help the communists. The rule is proven false whenever a violation of that rule will help the communists. One actual written best practices source, albeit missing any mention of 60 days, may arise from the DOJ manual, what used to be known as the U.S. Attorney's Manual, Section 985-500, actions that may have an impact on an election, which sets forth what we should hope is common sense guidance requiring that prosecutors and agents may never, quote, select the timing of any action which includes investigations, criminal charges statements. I mean, this writing is just awful with the purpose of affecting elections or helping or hurting particular candidates or parties. I truly cannot even believe stuff like this is published. Memorandums like Holder's 2012 guidance memorandum, which utilizes the same language, appear to imbue that principle as well. There is good reason why none of those written materials impose a deadline of 60 days or any other period of time as being too close to an election. Any such deadline is completely arbitrary and unfounded in anything besides gut instinct. Who is to say that an indictment coming 65 days before an election is any different than one coming 30 days before? Period, I guess, for that question. More importantly, the rule lacks any utility as an anti-corruption practice because no buffer zone of time can possibly remedy or prevent the damage done by a corrupt, politically motivated criminal prosecution intended to influence an election or hurt a particular candidate. They hid Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop in December of 2019. They had it early enough to know that exculpatory evidence existed that would have benefited Donald Trump in the Ukraine impeachment hoax evidence on that computer that would have blown the impeachment investigation up entirely. And they sat on that. They sat on the laptop until it was revealed by the New York Post and others, and then they censored it and then. 51 former intelligence officials wrote a letter claiming that the laptop might be Russian disinformation. The FBI went to the big tech companies and told them to be on the lookout for Russian disinformation. And now we also know that the FBI was paying someone involved in the Russiagate hoax 
to be a confidential human source, Igor Danchenko. And now the DOJ is going after their political opponents right before an election. They're doing all of that by choice. They're doing all of it because it's politically motivated. And the communists have no problem justifying it because they need to win so bad. Of course, no ethical prosecutor needs such a rule because ethical prosecutors do not abuse their power and office by weaponizing criminal prosecution against political enemies. And whatever Attorney General Garland's shortcomings may be, a lack of ethics is not among them. Attorney General Garland called American parents who wanted redress from their school boards, domestic terrorists, and he is preventing legitimate congressional oversight of his office. A total lack of ethics is one of Merrick Garland's defining qualities. So why would he and DOJ officials be agonizing over this mythic rule? As some reporting indicates, the frustrating answer may be that Garland's belief that a major part of his mission is to restore the DOJ's image and reputation for being ethical and nonpartisan after it was left in tatters by the Trump administration. When did Trump use the DOJ to pursue his political opponents? That literally never happened. In fact, most MAGA supporters who don't pay enough attention are furious about the fact that never happened. It may make him want to adhere to the rule in an effort to avoid being criticized for being political, but such adherence could stop him from pursuing potential crimes committed by Trump and his inner circle in a timely fashion when time is of the essence. Well, why is time of the essence? Because she wants the political result for the midterms. And this person's name is Shan Wu. I'm assuming that's a woman, but maybe not. Hopefully I didn't misgender Shan Wu. That would be terrible. Ooh, I would be in such big trouble. The writer also notes that she wants Garland to pursue potential crimes committed by Trump. For example, the current criminal investigation into potential Espionage Act violations, or so they're told, centered around the national defense documents recovered at Mar-a-Lago involves potential ongoing risks to U.S. national security and even possible danger to human sources. Oh, that's right. They have to protect their sources and their methods. This writer has no idea what's in those documents, by the way. Absolutely no idea, except what the DOJ has leaked out to the media. And all of that so far has been proven wrong, or you can deductively reason that it must be wrong. Donald Trump did not have nuclear documents that would affect national security or else. Why did Biden wait 18 months to pursue them? Why did Garland stew about his decision for this warrant in this investigation to go forward for weeks before he came to his very difficult, but totally moral decision? Why was there a three day raid between the signing of the warrant and the actual search? All of those questions remain mysterious. If we're to believe that the documents had some effect on national security, investigating such a dangerous situation should not be put off until after the midterm elections. But they are investigating. 
you're asking for an indictment. They are already investigating and their investigation is going terribly because it's been conducted not only unethically, but illegally. Similarly, the efforts to deny legitimate election results and alleged interference with election processes need to be investigated and prosecuted yesterday, given that those same illegal actions may be occurring right now and in the aftermath of the midterms. And by the way, this writer doesn't even use commas. I am reading this article far better than the writer actually wrote it. So what do we have as the accusations here? Potential crimes, right? Espionage Act. Is there anything in the investigation so far that suggests the Espionage Act can really be used to indict Donald Trump? No. National security? Of course not. Ridiculous. And so she adds on attempts to deny legitimate election results and alleged interference with election processes. And what they mean is questioning the results of an election where there is obvious and overwhelming evidence of complete and total fraudulence. The 2020 elections should not have been certified anywhere at any level. That is an entirely legitimate concern. Changing election processes under the law is how election processes are supposed to be changed. And the position of communists like this one are that the Democrats change the rules fair and square under the cover of their emergency powers in 2020. And any attempt to take those manipulations away is actually voter suppression. That's what's being claimed here. But wait, there's more. Indeed, all of the evidence uncovered publicly by the January 6th committee indicate that the threat to the stability of our democratic process has never been greater. It makes no sense to put off criminal investigations into threats to our very election processes until after the election. So the January 6th, very violent insurrection is also justification for violating DOJ norms to indict a former president, the leader of the opposition party in the lead up to the election. She just wrote two paragraphs about the justification for this indictment that she so badly wants. And she keeps calling for investigations, but there are investigations and she's already mentioned that fact, but she can't call for the indictment because she has no idea about what the crime might be. And that's the point. She doesn't need a crime. She doesn't care about the existence of any crime, but watch her reframe that. As we come to the gripping conclusion of this communist fairy tale, this is why DOJ needs to disavow the mythology of the 60 day rule and simply follow the evidence in law. If they find evidence of criminal wrongdoing that they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt, then they should bring the case immediately. And why do they mention the standard of reasonable doubt now? Well, that's the same As the warrants, the justification for the warrants is that to get a warrant in the first place, you have to have probable cause that a crime was committed and you can retrieve the evidence of that crime. And because all of the corrupt people are actually on the other side and would never, ever help the establishment and the entirety of the old guard, that means that 
because the warrant was issued in the first place, there's definitely probable cause, which means there's definitely evidence of a crime. And because there's definitely evidence of a crime, then the warrant and the raid are totally valid. And because there's evidence of a crime, Donald Trump is a criminal. And because there's evidence of a crime, Donald Trump needs to be indicted right away. But what's the evidence of the crime? They have absolutely no idea. That's just how it has to work because the system is perfect on their side. I mean, sure, the DOJ was involved in the Russiagate hoax and the Ukraine impeachment hoax and the very deadly insurrection and calling parents domestic terrorists while allowing BLM Antifa domestic terrorists to roam the streets and loot and steal and burn things down and assault and kill people and attack police officers. And the DOJ gets to knock down the doors of anyone who was even near the Capitol on January 6th of last year. They can violate all of Tina Peters' civil rights because she had the courage to stand up against election fraud in Mesa County, Colorado. They can stop Mike Lindell and box him in at a Hardy's drive through and take his phone because they're claiming that his work with Tina Peters means he was attempting to commit identity theft. They can do all of that, but what they don't have to do ever is actually provide evidence of a crime. Fear of being accused of corrupt political motivations cannot be the DOJ's guiding star in the midst of unprecedented twin threats to national security and our elections. Allowing Donald Trump to remain a free man threatens our national security and our elections, according to the people who have opened our borders, sent our money overseas to support Nazis and steal elections right in front of everyone. The possible dangers posed to our country by such threats is so grave that every delay may cause irreparable harm. And the DOJ needs to understand that trying to avoid the appearance of looking political by doing nothing can end up being political. So you see, if the DOJ refuses to go after and indict and prosecute and harm our opponents, then what they're really doing is harming our political ambitions. And we can't have that, particularly when Democrats are doing so well and Joe Biden is on a win streak and dominating everywhere. They're so far ahead, you see, and they don't cheat in elections. They really have all of this real support. They just won't debate anyone who claims otherwise. I'll be back tomorrow. At the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. 
comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!